With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and we're back after uh, a week off. Last week, I was uh, knocked out by the flu, and uh, today, the the weather's trying to get me down. We're in the single digits here, which uh, usually doesn't happen, but hey, at least my pipes aren't frozen. And uh, on that cheery note, let me bring on my guest, Matt Netter. Matt, how you doing? Good. Good to be back, Brian. How you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, you know, it, it's my impression that uh, Mets fans this offseason, uh, if there was one word to describe them, it would be annoyed. And, uh, you know, they're always kind of annoyed, but this year it seems like even more so than usual. And I want to know from you, is there anything that can be done to appease Mets fans at this point? Uh, I think for starters it would be nice to hear from ownership. I'd love to see a press conference where, Fred and Jeff uh, would get up on the, on, on the podium and address the fans and explain, you know, is there a reason why the team needs to cut payroll um, in spite of their $50 million windfall and the insurance money from David Wright and, you know, all the money from the stadium and attendance and ratings and so forth, uh, why they need to cut payroll. If there was a good explanation, I think, you know, maybe fans would be more understanding. Um you know, maybe that's wishful thinking, but short of that, I think one big signing, one big move. I mean, nobody's expecting the Mets to spend $50 million in the offseason, um, but they can't just, uh, you know, pick two guys off the scrap heap and think that's going to make the fans happy. I think we need to see at least one good signing. Now, my impression is that uh, Fred and Jeff Wilpot are weenies. And as far as I'm concerned, if we never, <laughs> ever hear from them again, that's a good thing. And I don't, I don't know if their presence on a podium in front of microphones, to me, that just seems like a recipe for disaster. Um, I, I guess I understand the point that uh, it would be nice if we had some leadership from the very top and that the ship wasn't rudderless and, and all of that good stuff. But to me, if they were to hold the press conference, I would hold my breath through the entire thing because I just know something stupid would happen. <laughs> so it, it's not really what, what I want to what I want to uh, see happen this off season. Uh, sure, you know, if they want to uh, gift wrap uh, Jake Arrieta under our uh, uh, belated New Year's tree, you know, that would be great. But I'm not holding my breath for that one either. So um, I, I guess that uh, there's, there's not really anything that, that can be done to appease me outside of, uh, you know, a real umpire saying play ball. Well, I'll tell you what, that you, the name you just mentioned would actually be my dream signing. Um, I pointed that out in blog posts, and uh, a lot of people disagreed with me. 
but I look back on when the Nationals signed Max Scherzer, even though they already had a pretty formidable pitching staff, and the trickle down of adding an ace to it to a staff is just you can't measure it because it not only bolsters the rotation, but in effect it gives us the option of moving other starting pitchers into the bullpen. Um, it puts less stress on the bullpen, and it gives us the ability to not worry about scoring as many runs as well. I think that would be the most impactful one single move they could possibly make. But obviously they're not going to shell out $25 million a year right now for another player. I don't see it. You know, be real curious to see how much the top two pitchers on the market, uh, that being Arietta and you Darvish end up getting. And then, you know, certainly at the beginning of the off season, I would have anticipated it would have been an average annual uh, value contract near 25 million. But now I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if it'll be quite that much. Maybe it'll be a few million dollars cheaper, but either way, I don't see the will ponds opening up the checkbook that far, but you know, let's not get bogged down in the will ponds in their their unwillingness to spend because I mean I I do think that some good things have happened this off season for the Mets and and I just want to get your take on that if if you think uh, the same way that I do or if you think that I'm I'm hopelessly hopelessly optimistic uh, when it comes to the Mets so the, the the first good thing that I think that happened this year was they they finally did something that they should have done five years ago and and that's they got rid of Terry Collins as manager so do you think that as one of the good things that happened this off season. Um, I mostly agree with you. I do think it was time to move on from Terry Collins, but I wouldn't say that it was five years too late. I think there was some positive to come out of him. I like that he played this sort of avuncular role in the clubhouse and took some younger players under his wing. I know he wasn't the greatest with his in-game decision-making and, um, he wasn't so schooled in analytics and things like that. He was kind of an old school from the gut manager, but sometimes his dice rolls just came up sevens. It surprised me. I don't know how he did it, um, but I don't think he was as bad as people made him out to be, but I do think at the same time, you're right. It was, it was clearly time to move on. And the the other uh, shoe, I guess, in, in that equation is the guy that they hired to replace him, uh, Mickey Calloway. And I don't know if you can really call somebody who's never managed before a, a home run, but I think that he's exactly what the Mets needed. I think that the Mets are going to do anything. They need to be uh, a pitching first organization. And I think it's a, a great move on their part to, to hire perhaps the, uh, the top pitching coach available, uh, Mickey Calloway. So what's your take on uh, the Mickey Calloway signing? I was thrilled. He was the guy I had my fingers crossed for. I read up a bunch on him, and you just hear so many good things about the way he gets along with everyone, about the way he communicates, about the way he works with pitchers, and I just he, he has natural leadership skills, and I think he's going to be a great asset to the organization. Another positive thing for me that, that happened uh, this off. Uh, season was the the Mets announcing that they uh, uh, signed a a deal to take over the Syracuse affiliate. Now the Mets own their top uh, AAA farm club and uh, they won't be stuck in that musical chairs game that has left them in Las Vegas uh, the last half dozen years. And and before that we were in uh, New Orleans, which uh, no one wanted to really be in either. And the reason we were in those two locations is because the, the Wilpons couldn't play nice with the, the owners in, in uh, Buffalo and uh, before that uh, Norfolk. 
And now they don't have to worry about uh, playing nice with anybody anymore. They just have to be, I don't know, I guess nice to themselves. They're capable of that, right? right? Yeah. This was a move that I I, I applaud, but it was so long overdue. Um, The the move to Las Vegas was one of the silliest moves I've seen uh, this organization make in the – but they I don't know, 40 years I've been following this team. I've, it just made no sense on so many levels to be but in a different a time choice. zone. And What's that? They didn't have a choice. I mean, it's not like it's not like they consciously said, ooh, let's put our farm top farm system in Las Vegas. Uh, they they blew their affiliate with, with Buffalo, and yes. when when that fell apart – that was, I mean, it's a game of musical chairs, and that was the only chair that was left. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, that's true. And, and that's why this, that's why this move is so good for them. They don't have to worry about that anymore. And and let's be honest, so I have, Syracuse isn't great. The Syracuse isn't great, but at least it's in the home state. At least it's in the Eastern Time Zone. At least it's in the International League. But. I mean, after you get beyond that, I think that if you look historically in the last 20 years, I mean, that, Syracuse hasn't been the most uh, uh, the the most desirable landing spot for for a team either. But now it, it's within the team's control to to maybe turn it into an area that is desirable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I have a funny memory about that stadium. Assuming it's the same stadium from back when I went, it was the Toronto Blue Jays affiliate uh, back in the 80s and 90s and I remember seeing a couple of games there and I remember um, seeing some of the players who were coming up at the time and I remember they were playing the Atlanta Braves and everybody was raving about a player named Ron Gant you remember him oh absolutely and I actually yeah and I actually got to see him hit a home run it was pretty cool but it was the Syracuse Chiefs I think back then correct yeah so I'm I'm very so, glad to see them back in the in the same time zone. It'll make call ups, you know, the logistics of a call up a lot easier. The the one completely unintended, but still it, it it's hard not to look at the situation and just smile. Is that right now uh, Syracuse is the top affiliate for the Washington Nationals, and that's yes. the way that the 2018 season will play out. And then following the 2018 season, Washington's now going to have to shop for a new affiliate. And it's among the possibilities that they end up in Las Vegas. Oh, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the, the last thing that, that's gone on here in the offseason that, that I view as a positive, but I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and think that maybe you feel the opposite, is that the Mets uh, re-extended or extended uh, general manager Sandy Alderson. How do you feel about that? It's a head-scratcher. I'm confused about the timing of things that have gone on this offseason. I'm really – I know a lot of Mets fans are angry, but I'm really scratching my head. And I'm a Knicks fan also, and just like everyone was scratching their heads about why did they let Phil Jackson make the draft pick only to get rid of him afterwards, it's kind of that same idea. I feel like this whole notion of the limited payroll didn't come out didn't come about until very recently. And I don't think that not only were the fans not aware, but I'm not it, it almost seems like Alderson wasn't aware until the past month. So knowing that that's the case, why was he so willing to come back? 
or maybe at least in a reduced role. Maybe maybe they offered him too much money and he couldn't, you know, an offer he couldn't refuse. I don't know. Um, I, I personally think Sandy Alderson would make an excellent baseball commissioner and some sort of league executive capacity, but I don't think he's a great scout. I don't think he's a great judge of talent. I think with the exception of Conforto who fell in our laps, um, I think he's made a lot of the wrong draft picks. And I think it's very telling that Omar Minai is back in the fold now because he was say what you will about some of his free agent signings and so forth, but he was a terrific judge of young talent. Now, let me, uh, let me address the non-baseball part of your, uh, of your, uh, question first, and why did the the Knicks allow uh, Phil Jackson to conduct their draft? Because that was something he was really good at. He took Kristaps Porzingis when uh, when nobody True. else had him among the top three. So there's nothing wrong with recognizing what an individual's strengths and weaknesses are, and and try to capitalize on the strengths for as long as possible. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a real interesting uh, pick that uh, Jackson made with the Knicks taking uh, the, the point guard from France, Nidalkina, especially since the guy who was drafted directly after him was an American point guard named Dennis Smith, who I got to see play an awful lot and was certainly somebody who I was hoping that the team would draft. But Smith has got off to a strong start. Nilkina, he's been coming off the bench, but you you can see there's an awful lot of talent in there, and he's got those long arms, and he's such a good defensive player. And and the hope is that uh, after he uh, gets to play in the league a little bit and gets some experience in uh, two or three years like uh, Porzingis has, and then maybe he can make that leap forward. But I mean, I do understand why the Knicks let Jackson make the the draft and and bringing it back to. To the to the Mets and and Alderson, I do think that he has certain strengths that a lot of other uh, general managers may not have, and unfortunately, one of those strengths is his, his ability to be flexible with an unknown payroll amount. You know, it, it seems mm-hmm. the more things change, the more they stay the same. Many years ago, when Alderson was first starting out with the Mets, we heard from uh, Howard Megdal that uh, he never knew what the payroll was going to be. It, it changed uh, f- uh, seemingly from month to month. Each conversation that he had with the Wilpons, that the, the payroll amount changed. And it seems like we're back to that step this year. And, and maybe this is the, the right guy for this particular situation. I don't, I don't know. But uh, I do think that uh, Sandy does have strengths that he brings to the table and, and maybe they addressed one of those weaknesses like you suggested with bringing Omar Minaya back into the fold but it is very curious to me when when Alderson replaced Minaya one of the complaints you heard was that Minaya spent so much time on on the the big league club that he kind of ignored the farm system and and now here eight years later he's talked about oh he was such a great judge of young talent and he's the one who brought all these guys into the system and you know sometimes it just takes those farm system guys a little while longer to to make their way through the system and and produce mm-hmm. when all of a sudden Lucas Duda looks like yeah that was a really good draft pick was he a seventh round draft pick and you know they mm-hmm. end up getting great value out of him and it's certainly possible yeah, that we, something we will happen that way with Alderson too. And don't forget, we had Wilmer Flores when he was, what, 16? You know, we, mm-hmm. uh, Jose Reyes was maybe, was he 16 also? Was he 17? 
you know, when you get those really young international signings, it takes them a couple of extra years to get through the system and to develop and, you know, kind of shake out the rawness when they first get to the big leagues. Um, there are a lot of players like that that were Mania guys, not not just the core guys, um, but a lot of like the, the Flores and, and Duda type players as well. And, uh, you know, everybody looks back and thinks, oh, but he, you know, he gave Ali Perez that contract and the Jason Bay thing. But those were both also might have had something to do with the Wilpons, you know, kind of tightening the purse springs because, you know, of course he wanted Matt Holiday, but the next best hitter at the, hitting outfielder at the time was Jason Bay. And we always seemed to settle for that second-tier guy that doesn't pan out. We didn't want to spend the money on, I think it was Derek Lowe when the Braves blew us out of the water. So then we settled for, you know, Ali Perez. And it, it, it just seems to happen a lot. We settle for the second guy, and then we end up with the bad contract. Like, we even way back when, we settled for Bobby Bonilla when – I forget who was the top guy that year. But we always end up, you know, going for that second guy unless we make that huge splash like we did when we, you know, actually had the trade to get Mike Piazza. We usually end up getting the number two guy. And sometimes that's not the best move. Sometimes if you can't get the top guy, maybe you're better off getting a couple of guys at that mid-level. And if memory serves, the top guy in the year they ended up getting Benia was uh, some guy named Barry Bonds. So it was certainly would have been curious so. if, the, if the Mets yeah, had ended right. up with him instead. At the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, well, um, we got Robin. <laughs> Let's shift away from uh, Sandy Alderson and, and uh, uh, talk more about the specific uh, roster that the Mets currently have. And, and what do you see as, as this team's biggest weakness right now, roster-wise? Um, my issue is everybody's looking at positions. They're saying second base, third base, center field. I don't look at it from a position standpoint. I look at it as a bat, from a batting order standpoint. And what I really see as the most glaring hole is the table setter. There's no true leadoff hitter on this team, and there hasn't been for some time. There needs to be that catalyst at the top. I know there's no Ricky Henderson out there right now, but somebody who can get on base at a good clip, um, who could steal a base, you know, who can take an extra base on the base path, um, somebody like that to, get, to, to set the table for Conforto and Cespedes and hopefully another guy. But that's not that's not on the roster right now. And while that that it's not on the roster, do you see an easy solution to to plug that hole? Not ideally. I was a big proponent of of uh, trying to trade for D Gordon, and that didn't pan out. Um, maybe it wasn't an option for what we could have offered the Marlins. I don't know. Or maybe the Marlins didn't want to trade within the division. I don't know. Um, it's all conjecture, um, but he actually, for what he has left on his contract, would have come cheaper than some other options. Um, I think Jason Kipnis could bat lead off. He's not ideal. Um, Josh Harrison, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, certainly Lorenzo Cain would be a free agent signing that that, that could fit, fill that role. Um Otherwise, they, they, they might have to just piece it together. I don't see Jose Reyes. I think he could come back as a useful, you know, um, bench player and uh, rotational infielder, but I don't see him as an everyday leadoff hitter anymore. And nobody else on the team. I mean, they tried, you know, Conforto was a leadoff hitter. I think that's a waste of an RBI bat. 
Um, you know, they've tried Ligaris before. I don't see it. Um, you know, maybe Nimmo in spurts, um, but I see him as more of a platoon player. I just don't see a true leadoff hitter on this team. And Rosario you know, doesn't. We made have, reference. Rosario has speed, but he can't walk. We made reference to this earlier, and, and I'd like to discuss it in a little more detail now. And it's been hinted at in the mainstream media that there might be a little bit more money available in the budget if, if Sandy Alderson makes the case for the Wilpon spending it, you know, much like he did uh, a year ago. And I want to know from you do, you, do you think this is a strange way to run a team? Or or maybe does this show some kind of, I don't know, enlightened flexibility maybe on, on the Wilpons <laughs> part? People who we've never really trotted out that phrase for either before or likely ever again? No. Um, it's strange. I don't really know what to make of it, but I think you touched on something really brilliant earlier. I think the main reason why Sandy's back and why he was initially introduced to the Wilpons and pushed upon them by our former, by the former commissioner is really diplomacy. The way he knows how to handle people like them. Um, I think that's what it really comes down to. I don't think it's any ingenuity on their part. I think it's just a silly way of operating. And maybe because of that, maybe Sandy will surprise us. Maybe, because this market is so slow to develop, maybe somebody will still be out there that we can get on a more reasonable contract than we thought. Um, who knows? But this team has three or four major holes that need to be filled, and one signing, while it would certainly help, it's better than nothing. Um, I don't know, but maybe they'll surprise us. Now, I've heard the, the Wilpons managerial style described as a collegial style of management uh, where maybe uh, several different people at varying times have influence over the decisions, which is certainly has to be a little bit different for Sandy Alderson and being a, uh, a former Marine, uh, and he's probably used to a much more stable, structured uh uh, system of command and and it's not something that that I think that should be endorsed in any way but uh, you know just just trying to 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 look at it I guess logically I mean is there any way that you can see a collegial chain of command being a good thing for a professional sports franchise no I mean I, I guess there's <laughs> a way it could be more democratic, but it just seems kind of willy-nilly. Um, I've, I've read a number of things where it seems that um, um, Jeff kind of meddles. It seems like he kind of pokes his head in the door and gets involved, and he, like a jack-in-the-box where he's not involved, and then he is, and he kind of sticks his nose where it doesn't belong. Um, and that's that's kind of like uh, what the Dolans are like with the Knicks. It's very similar. So maybe the secret is to get Isaiah Thomas away from the Knicks and, and introduce him to the Wilpons <laughs> and, and have him uh, into the Mets. And, right. you know, he was never afraid to spend money. Maybe uh, Maybe he's exactly what this franchise needs. 
Well, actually, we've reached the point in time where an Isaiah Thomas to the Mets would make perfect sense, and that's our crazy prediction time. I'm going to give you my crazy <laughs> prediction and, and then ask you for your comment and then uh, ask you oh, for not, your crazy prediction. Yeah, no, no, no. I just thought of it. If I, if I had thought about it earlier, I might have gone with it. But uh, anyway, so my crazy prediction is that, that Alderson does have two sort of big, not giant, but sort of big moves up his sleeve that he's going to pull before the end of the year. And that uh, those are both going to work out. The Mets are going to stay healthy and, and be a, a winning team this year. And, and Sandy Alderson ends up as executive of the year. So I want to know how crazy is that? Wow, that's wild. I'll have what you're having. <laughs> nah. Well, you know, each week I come up with a crazy prediction, and, and the guest turns around and says, no, I can kind of see that, and and always shoots no, down and, and doesn't call my prediction crazy. So, and, and none of the predictions ever come true. So, you know, I, well, I, I feel like I've got to up the ante a little bit. I'm going to predict that of the guys that – there's about a half a dozen guys on the Mets that drive us all crazy because they have a world of talent and they're still young, but they can't seem to stay healthy. And I'm not sure which one I would put my money on, but I feel like one of those guys is going to shock the world this year and stay healthy the whole year and make the all-star game. I'm not sure which one it's going to be. You've got Steven Matz and Travis Dorno and Juan Lagares and, Zach Wheeler, um, I feel like one of those guys is going to shock the world this year. All right, so in order for this crazy prediction thing to work, you got to actually pick a horse. You're going to hold my feet to the fire. Well, you know, I I remember being in high school uh, and had a substitute teacher, and he he tried to claim that that he was, uh, um, you know, he could – predict the future or stuff, or I, I forget the phrase that he used. But anyway, he made uh, a half a dozen predictions, but they were all so vague that, you know, pretty much anything could have satisfied right. those conditions. He said stuff like, there's going to be a devastating flood in the world. Well, you know, chances are that sometime <laughs> in the 365-day calendar, there there will be a flood that does a lot of damage. So, um, yeah, what did you say, holding your feet to the fire? <laughs> I'm holding your feet. Give me a name. Give me a name. Back a horse. Uh, Stephen Matz. I'm sorry, Travis Dardo? That is, that is uh, amazing. Stephen Matz. I'm going to go with Stephen Matz. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. All right, well, that's, that, that segues nicely in, into our next question, and I was going to ask you, who do you see throwing more innings in, in 2018, uh, Matz or, or Zach Wheeler? I've got to say Matt's because I have a feeling Wheeler's destined for the bullpen. You you hear uh, a lot of people make that claim, and, and certainly anyone who, who thinks about it and isn't at least intrigued about the idea of Wheeler in the bullpen I don't think is really um, thinking seriously enough about it because uh, the guy does have trouble uh, certainly pitching seven innings at a time, although you kind of wonder if that's even in the uh, – in the blueprint for very many starting pitchers these days, but he, he's got yeah. such a great arm that you, you wonder if uh, he moved to the bullpen permanently and was only going to throw two, maybe three innings most of the time, you know, maybe he could be regularly throwing a hundred miles an hour. I mean, that certainly doesn't seem to be unrealistic, 
the flip side of that is he has such command issues that it seems like it takes him a full inning just to get his feet, and he he throws 25 or 30 pitches in the first inning alone. And I just wonder if that's the best combination for the bullpen. I'm intrigued by the idea, but somehow I, I always feel like he's like maybe the worst person to move to the bullpen. I think his stuff lends itself well to it. He's got such a great fastball, and he's got that sweeping curveball. And if he could limit his repertoire a little bit and just get in that mindset, um, you know, we we actually did it with Bobby Parnell and with and with Aaron Heilman. We haven't done it in a while, but you look at teams like like St. Louis that seem to do it every year, where they take some starter, convert them to a reliever, and you look at a couple of the the free agents that got big paydays this year, you know, like uh, Mike Miner. And uh, Brandon Morrow, these guys were were starters, and they just had injury troubles, and, you know, they were resurrected. I think he's that kind of candidate, and I think the Mets need to think outside the box a little bit. And I think a lot of teams are spending a lot of money on the bullpen, but it's a little short-sighted. Rather than, you know, I, I get that the frontline starters cost a fortune, but they're spending an awful lot of money on set-up men and middle relievers right now. And I just, you know, you look at a, not even if you can't, you don't have the money for Arietta, even like a Lance Lynn or an Alex Cobb, a guy like that that can really extend your rotation. And then you take your fifth man and move him to the pen. And I think for a lot of teams, you know, most relievers, with the exception of the, you know, the superstar closers, most relievers are, you know, they couldn't make it as starters, either because they couldn't develop the repertoire or because they didn't have the stamina. So you take a starter who's not great and make him a reliever. And a lot of times they find a couple extra miles an hour on their fastball, you know, and they're more effective when they only have to go an inning or two. I think we're going to see more of that. If somehow both Steven Matz and Zach Wheeler are able to stay healthy for long stretches of the 2018 season, a big if I certainly recognize that, but if that were to happen, I think you'd see that happen with two guys who, who logged a lot of starts for the 2017 Mets, and, and that would be Robert Gesellman and, and Seth Lugo. And do you think that uh, Wheeler is better suited to be a reliever than either of those two guys? Um, if not for the partial tear in his elbow, I would love to see Lugo as a swing man. But that makes me nervous. I think they might have to roll the dice. I mean, Tanaka pitched all year with the tear in his elbow and, you know, Lugo made it through most of this year. Okay. Um, I see him as like, remember Terry Leach, like that type, who's like a long man or a spot starter and can use him in different situations. So I, I see Lugo and Wheeler both in the pen. I don't see Gazelman as a reliever. I see him either as trade bait or depending on who's healthy, maybe he's the fifth starter or he's in the, you know, in the mix. If Lugo could turn in a season like 1987 Terry Leach, it would be a, a Merry Christmas indeed. Well, we are all yeah, out of time. I'd like to, I'd like to thank uh, our guest, uh, Matt Netter, for joining us tonight. And uh, please uh, join us again uh, next Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern. Uh, good night, Thanks, everybody. Brian. And goodbye. Night.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.